Father, what a glorious day that was when you brought our Savior back from the dead. What a glorious day that will be when he comes again. And God, what a glorious day it is every day that we know that we can walk with you because of what Jesus did for us. I pray that now that you would open our hearts and give us understanding as we look into your word as you tell us about the resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For this Easter series that we're at here in Cornerstone, we've been looking at the events. Last Sunday we looked at the events of Palm Sunday for Matthew 21. And on Good Friday, if you were here on Friday, we read through the story of Jesus' arrest and crucifixion and death. And then today we're going to look at Matthew's account of the resurrection. And then next week we're going to say the last five verses of Matthew and talk about what does it mean now that Jesus is dead? How should we live our lives? But the key question that I want to ask you today is this. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? And by the way, this isn't just a yes or no question. Your answer to that question will have huge implications for how you live the rest of your life. If it's no, that means something. If it's yes, that means something. And when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus, we really have two options. Either we believe in it, or we reject it. Either we give our lives to God in response to what he has done, or we try to come up with some other story to say that, nope, the resurrection didn't really happen. Jesus is still dead. Now, a lot of people try to explain it away, and we'll get into that today. But a lot of people believe it. And in my opinion, this question of the resurrection of Jesus is of utmost importance in any person's life. Not just for those of us who go to church. Every one of us needs to come up with an answer for this question. Now, if it's false, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, I have a suggestion for you. Don't listen to me. Okay? If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then what I am going to say to you is deception. And if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then those of us who have given our lives to him, we are badly deceived. And in fact, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Who here wants to live their life for futility? Raise your hand if you'd like to do that. If Jesus is still dead, our faith really is nothing. But, if Jesus is alive, then it makes all the difference in the world. And if Jesus is alive, every one of us should respond the way that he has asked us to respond to him in faith and living our lives for him. So what's your answer? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Like I said, today we're going to look at the story of the resurrection from the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, and as we look at that story, I want you to consider what you believe we're going to meet some people in here, some who didn't believe in the resurrection and some who did. I want you to consider what you believe and as a result, how you're going to live your life. So we're going to walk through this passage. We left off on Good Friday at Matthew 27, 61. So we'll pick up at verse 62 and I'm just going to kind of walk through this passage in small chunks. So reading verses 62 to 64 right now. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was alive, while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal the body 
and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Now, ironically, somehow along this story, the Jewish religious leaders and the Roman governor Pilate had become friends. And, you know, they, they didn't exactly always get along, but now they were getting along because they both had something to gain from each other. They both wanted to squelch this Jesus movement so that it wouldn't cause any more problems. But the Jewish religi- religious leaders remembered something. They remembered that Jesus said that he was going to rise from the dead. And they're right, actually. At least five times in the book of Matthew alone, Jesus foretold that he would rise from the dead. So the Jewish re- religious leaders like, oh yeah, he said that, so we've got to make sure that nobody comes and steals the body. In uh, verse 63, they called Jesus a deceiver. That word basically means liar. Like, we don't believe in him. And that liar said he's going to rise again after three days. Now, it's interesting to me that they didn't even wait for three days to figure out whether or not it would happen. They weren't even giving Jesus a chance. They, they had already made up their minds that Jesus wasn't who he said he was, called him a deceiver and a liar. And I'm thinking, if I'm there, I, I hope that I would have at least had the faith to say, well, let's give him a chance. Let's see if he comes out of the dead. But they wouldn't do that. So one application that I want to... I want to ask you right now, will you give Jesus a chance? Maybe some of you have already made up your mind about him. Nope, not who he said he was. I'm just asking you, will you give him a chance to show you that he is the risen Lord? I want to show you today that there are some really good reasons to believe in the resurrection. So will you give him a chance? Moving on to the next two verses. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Now these verses are pretty easy to understand. Pilate granted their request and said, yeah, go make the tomb as secure as you know how. And I find this interesting. They didn't want anybody to come and take the body. So later on we're going to see that they came up with this story about somebody stealing the body. But here they're trying as best they know how to make sure that that dead body stays in the tomb. Okay, chapter 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. So two women came to the tomb in the Gospel of Mark. We learn that these two women went to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. In in Jewish burial, oftentimes there was a a two-step process to burial. The first was you you would set the body in a tomb, and then after a few days you would go back and get that body and anoint it with spices and prepare it for burial. So these women were going to do that second stage of the burial process. Uh, Turns out, though, they didn't exactly need to do that second stage of the burial process. Something else happened here. He rose from the dead. Now, uh, just a quick side note here. It says that this happened on the first day of the week, so that would have been Sunday. And it's, I think it's pretty clear that the evidence points to the fact that Jesus was crucified on a Friday. So from Friday to Sunday, we would call that two days. So why is it that it says that Jesus was in the tomb for three days? Well, it just has everything to do with the way that, in the Jewish culture, the way they counted days. And in that culture, any part of a day counted as a day. So part of Friday, Saturday, and part of Sunday is three days. So that's, that's why we say three days, even though to us it kind of looks like two days. Okay, then going on to verses 2 through 4. There was a violent earthquake, 
For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Now, if you ever invent time travel, I would maybe suggest this is a point in history to go back to. It would have been pretty cool to see. Although, if you're going to invent time travel, wouldn't we already know about it by now? So, I, Okay, I don't want to get into all of that, but uh, somebody can argue the, the metaphysics of all that later. But, but can you imagine the scene here? An earthquake. And then an angel who looks like lightning. What in the world does that mean? He looks like lightning. And his clothes were as white as snow. And he rolled back this stone. And then I love verse 4. The guards were so afraid of him, the angel, that they shook and became like dead men. These were most likely Roman guards, hardened soldiers, manly men if there ever were. And they were so terrified that they shook and became like dead men because of what they saw. And verse 5, Then the, the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. If I were one of the women, I would be very glad to hear the angel say, Do not be afraid. But again, the guards were terrified, and the angel says, No, 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 you don't have to be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus, and you're in the right place, just like you saw when they buried him. This is the same tomb, but he's not here. Um, and let me point out just one word here that the, the angel said. The word crucified. Now, in case you're unfamiliar with the story, that's what happened to Jesus. He was crucified, meaning that the Romans took him and put nails through his hands, or, or probably most likely his wrists and his feet, and left him to hang on a cross until most likely the process of asphyxiation took over and, and he suffocated and died. Now, it's an interesting story because that is not, was not just a human being. He was a human being. But it was God the Son. Let me show you a couple phrases in Scripture that describe who Jesus Christ was. Uh, one of those Scriptures says in John 5.26 that he has life in himself. Meaning that he, he doesn't just have life, he actually has life in himself. Uh, he was the creator. And another verse in Acts 3.15, it says that he was the author of life. So here we have someone who had life in himself and was the very author of life being nailed to a cross and left to die. And he did die. That's what the angel said. He was crucified. And for what? He committed no crime. He came simply to, to tell us the truth of God and, and then, yes, to die for our sins. But make no mistake, the reason that Jesus died was for our sins. It wasn't like the Jewish religious leaders outsmarted him. It wasn't that the Roman government was too powerful for him. It was that Jesus' plan was to come and die for our sins. So he laid his life down for us. Our sin was such a problem that it demanded the payment of death from a perfect sacrifice. Every single one of us has sinned. Every single one of us has earned a death penalty. And, and let me clarify this. It's not just like we can say, okay, God, you got me. I realize that I'm a sinner. So I tell you what, God, I'm going to make it up to you by dying. I'll die. And will that clear me of all my wrongs that I have done? No, it won't. Because the death penalty that we had earned was not just a physical death, it's also a spiritual death, which means eternal separation from God 
in hell. That was the penalty that we had earned, and we could never repay it. That's why the Bible describes our condition without Jesus as being dead in sin. Think about that. That's all of us, the way that we came into this world as human beings, sinners by nature and by choice, dead in sin. And without Jesus, that's where we would remain for all eternity. But that's exactly why Jesus came. God loves us so much that he didn't want us to stay dead in sin. 2 Peter 3.9 says God doesn't want anyone to perish. 1 Timothy 2.4 says God wants all people to be saved. So God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross, to take our sins upon himself, to pay the penalty we could never pay, so that anyone who believes in him can have complete forgiveness and eternal life. I hope you know that message. I hope you know that that is the only way for our sin problem to be taken care of. John 3.16 says it so clearly. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This message is for whoever will believe. Whoever will believe. That's why Jesus died. But think about this. So that, that, that's the gospel message. I hope you know that message. But think about this. If Jesus stayed dead, how would we know that any of that happened? I suppose it's possible that God could have just you know, taken Jesus right up into heaven without us seeing the resurrection. And all of that stuff still could have been true. But the question remains, how would we know? For example, if I were to come up to you and say, I'll die for your sins. And, and you kind of look at me like, Really? And then, and then I die, and you never see me again, what would you think of my message? You would have every right to question whether I was telling you the truth. And I think that God knew that about us, and that's why God planned the resurrection from the dead. Not just a resurrection straight up into heaven where we wouldn't see him, but a resurrection to the earth where the people who knew him saw him again. I think that was God's wisdom. And like I said earlier, at least five times in the book of Matthew alone, Jesus said that he was going to rise from the dead and he would do so as proof of the fact that he is our Savior, the one who was able to forgive our sins. So let's go on to verse 6. The angel says, He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. He has risen. Our faith hinges on this event. I'm not a Christian simply because I like going to church. In fact, growing up, I didn't really like going to church. I wanted it to be over so we could go home and watch football. I've learned now to love going to church, though. And, And neither am I a Christian because I love singing songs. In fact, growing up, I really didn't like singing at all. And we'd sing from the hymnal and maybe I'd try to do it, but I didn't really like singing. Although now I've learned to love singing praise songs to my my Father and to my Savior. And and neither am I a Christian because I love rules. I wasn't drawn to Christianity because of all the do's and don'ts, although now I see the wisdom in them. And neither was I drawn to Christianity because it had the best philosophy of how to live. That's what some people are on a search to figure out the best way to live their life. I didn't come to Christianity for that reason, although I do think that Christianity gives us the best way to live. Let me be very clear on this. I am not a Christian because of any of those things. I am a Christian because Jesus is still alive. And if 
If Jesus is not alive, there is no reason to follow him. Actually, he would be worse. He'd be exactly what those religious leaders said he was. He would be a deceiver because five times he said he was going to rise from the dead. And if he's still dead, there's no reason to follow him. But if he is alive, that means that he is God the Son and that we should give our lives to him. And that is why I am a follower of Jesus Christ because I believe that he has risen from the dead. So the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they're obviously the central events of the Christian story. But let me say it this way. I think that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ are not only the central events of Christianity, I think they're the central events of all of human history. You have to come up with a way to explain our experience as human beings. I don't think that you're going to be able to do that adequately without the cross of Jesus Christ. And, and here's the reason why. There's something wrong in our world. Okay, we, we believe as Christians that God loves us and that God created but even then, we have to figure out, well, there's something wrong here. And even if, if you're not a Christian, you have to struggle with these problems. Why is it that we all experience evil in this world? Why is it, as we look around, we see the horrible atrocities, and all you have to do is turn on the news today and you'll see more of it? There is something wrong with this world. And it's worse than that, because it's not just the problems out there, it's also the problems that are in me that every one of us knows that we're not perfect, that we've messed up, we've offended people. How are you going to explain that? And I think the best answer to explain it is the fact that God created us, God loves us, but that we, by our own choice, went our own way, and, and sin is the description of that. And because of sin, this world is the way that it is. But God saw all of that and had a plan to overcome all of that. That's why he sent Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins, that anyone who receives him can receive complete forgiveness of sins and we're given the promise of eternal life. That makes sense of the world to me. Every single one of us has this part of us that longs for something better. Every single one of us has that. And the reason is because we were created for something better than this. We were created for perfection, a relationship with God that will last forever, where we get to be with him face to face. That's the human story. That's what we were created for. So you see, the cross of Christ explains it all. And the cross of Christ stands as, as an example for us in many ways as well, that as Jesus died on the cross, so we are to die to ourselves. The New Testament calls us to die to ourselves and give our lives to Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus' death, we get, to, we get in on the benefits of Jesus' death. Not only do we receive the forgiveness that Jesus gives, but also we receive the new life, the resurrection life that Jesus lives. He wants us to experience with him. So it's not just that he died, it's also that he rose again. In our denomination, in the statement of faith that we have, it's called the victorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I've met a lot of pastors along the way who, who really emphasize the, the death of Christ and the forgiveness of sins that we can have. And we should emphasize that. That is wonderful. But I often tell pastors, let's, 
Let's emphasize the resurrection as well because it's in the resurrection where we see that we have resurrection power at work within us right now to live the lives that God has called us to live. Because Jesus lives, we can live in him. And he's defeated the powers of sin and death and the devil. Okay, moving on to verses 7 through 10. The angel said to the women, Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. And just real quick to point out there, Jesus died, but he's alive again and he still leads. Okay? That's our Savior. He still leads. Verse 8. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings. And that word greetings is the same word as rejoice. So it was a a triumphal greeting. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. A lot of things I could say about these verses. I just want to fly through a couple of quick points. Um, Verse 9 says they clasped his feet. You know what that means? That means that Jesus didn't just rise as a spirit, he rose bodily. And that's actually the consistent teaching in the New Testament, that Jesus rose again in bodily form. And and the truth is that that those of us who believe in Christ will also rise in bodily form to live with him forever. I think it's just kind of a neat teaching of the Bible that we will live in bodies forever. Not just spirits floating around, but that heaven, the ultimate goal, is perfected bodies with God. It also said in verse 9, they worshipped Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus said to Satan in the desert when, when Satan tempted Jesus to, to worship Satan? Remember what Jesus said? He said, don't do it. Uh, we, we were not created for that. Um, I wrote the verse down here. Um, it's in Matthew 4. Let me just flip to it real quick. Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Okay, so Jesus said, you should only worship God. Now here, Jesus received worship. What does that mean? It means that he is God the Son. He is part of the Trinity, and he is worthy of worship, and we should worship him. That's, that's one of the takeaways for us. Um, and then again, verse 10, we see another example of Jesus leading. Jesus died, but he still leads. And then one more thing I want to point out. It said in verse 8, that these women were afraid yet filled with joy. Isn't that an interesting response? They were afraid yet filled with joy. And that actually stands as a pretty good description of my response when I first understood the gospel message. I was about 15 years old when I first understood the, the complete story of this forgiveness of my sins and the relationship with God that he wanted with me. And my response at that time was, well, of course, God, I want this with you. But I also had this fear it, it said the women were afraid yet filled with joy. I was a little bit afraid. And maybe, did, were any of you like me in this? I heard this wonderful message that God wanted me to give my life to him and I could spend the rest of my life living with him and for him. I was a little bit afraid because I wondered what that might mean. I, I knew at that moment that God was calling me to give my life to him. And maybe some of you are experiencing that right now. You're feeling God calling you to give your life to him. And I was a little bit scared. What's God going to do with my life? I was concerned. Is he going to make me go and be a missionary in Africa? I was like, boy, that could, that could lead to a whole lot of things that I'm not sure I would like right now. 
But at the same point, I was filled with joy because I knew I was doing what I was created for. God convinced me somehow, in my heart, God convinced me of the truth of the gospel message and I knew that I had to give my heart to him. And it filled me with great joy. And actually, joy is one of the, one of the wonderful side effects that God gives to us as followers of Christ. Now, I I know that depression is a very real thing and maybe some of you struggle with it. But even stronger than depression is the joy that God can bring to us. One of my favorite verses from the Old Testament is Isaiah 12.3. It says, With joy you will draw water from the spring of salvation. So sometimes if I'm feeling down or depressed, I think about that verse and I say, Oh yeah, there is a spring of salvation that I can draw water from with joy. That's what God gives to us to follow him. Okay. Um, I'm not going to point out everything I could about verses 7 through 10, although I I would like to say that there's some pretty strong proof of the resurrection in there. But I want to move on now to these last verses in this last section. I want to show you some people who didn't believe in the resurrection. Verses 11 through 15. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. So the guards are like, uh-oh, we're in trouble. We were, we were given the task of guarding this tomb and the dead body, and it's not there anymore. So they, they knew there was no way to hide it. They went to the religious leaders and like, hey, I just got to tell you something. The body's not there anymore. So the religious leaders came up with a plan. They would bribe the soldiers and tell them to come up with a story of the disciples stealing the body away, which is the very thing that they were setting up not to have happen, Remember? The, very, the exact thing that they tried not to let happen is now the, the story that they're going to lie about and say, whoops, we didn't do a very good job. They came and we were asleep. So here we have the very first denial of the resurrection. And what's sad to me here, though, is that the guards knew it wasn't true. They knew it wasn't true. Yet they went along with this story anyways. And, and why would they do that? It doesn't say specifically in here, but why would they do that? The answer has to be self-interest. They didn't want to lose their jobs or their lives. The, the penalty for sleeping on the job for a Roman guard could be death. So these guards were like, okay, we, we want to stay alive and keep our jobs, so sure, we'll go along with this story. We'll, we'll say that Jesus is still dead and somebody just stole his body. Similar to the the religious leaders, it was more convenient for them if Jesus would just stay dead. Same thing goes for Pilate. He was trying to quiet this little rebellion down. It would be more convenient if Jesus just stayed dead. So there are a lot of people who just pretended that Jesus was still dead. And you know what? A lot of people still today pretend that Jesus is still dead because it's more convenient. You see, if Jesus is alive again, it means that he's our authority. I want you to know that. If Jesus is alive again, he is Lord of lords, and we should submit to him as our king. That's what the resurrection means. And 
Truth be told, and, and I'm just calling everybody here to be honest with ourselves today. Truth be told, there are some people who would rather not have that authority in their lives. People who would rather not submit to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords because they've picked out their own life that seems better. It's a sad thing to me, just like it's sad that these guards went along with this plan. And, and think about the guards' story. Um, with their story, act, who, who should we believe? Jesus, who sure looked to be trustworthy and five times said he would rise again, or these guards who would stand to lose their job and maybe even their lives if they didn't make up a story? Who, who's more believable? And think about it this way. These religious leaders and these guards made up their minds without honestly dealing with the facts of the resurrection. They just went with what they wanted and they didn't look at the facts. Now, there are lots of stories that we could imagine or reasons we could give to explain away the resurrection. I've heard lots and lots of them in my day. But to me, the evidence points to the fact of a risen Savior. And, and consider it just this way. From, I, I want to get into some of this. Uh, I'm, I'm closing up my sermon here shortly, but I, I want to close with reasons that people give today not to believe in the resurrection. But I want you to consider this first. The God of the universe, who created everything, who created you and loves you, wants you to know that your Savior is alive. He brought him back from the dead to show you that you can have forgiveness and new life in him. That's what the resurrection is about. So I want to ask you the key question again. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Do you believe in it? And if so, what difference should it make? Like I've been saying today and last Sunday as well, there's only two responses. Either we believe in it or we reject it. And if we believe, we should live our lives accordingly. So did Jesus really rise from the dead? I want to I give you a couple of answers today that I've heard from some people who try to deny the resurrection. Some people attack the credibility of the Bible. And that's a convenient attack because if we can say, well, the Bible... That was just written by men and there's probably lots of errors in it. If we can say that, then it's a convenient one because then we're off the hook for following Jesus. But I don't think that argument really holds water. And here's why. Think about it this way. Why would these first followers of Jesus Christ, the apostles who wrote the Bible, why would they die for what they knew to be a lie? If anybody knew the truth of the resurrection, it was the disciples. One way or the other, they knew the truth, right? Either they were the ones who stole the body and they knew that he was still dead, or, as it says in Scripture, Jesus really rose from the dead and showed himself to his followers again. They would know one way or the other. And the stories that they wrote repeatedly say that he is alive again. Now, if that story wasn't true, why would they die for it? History tells us that 10 of the 11 remaining apostles died spreading this message. And the, the 11th one, John, probably had it worse than all the rest of them. Why would they die if they knew it was a lie? The overwhelming evidence points to the fact that Jesus is still alive. And let me ask you this as well. How could they spread this message? Think about these, these 11 followers of Jesus when Jesus was arrested and crucified, how, how is their bold? On a scale of 1 to 10, where would you rate their boldness? 
I would rate it about the same as you would rate a, a dog running away with its tail between its legs. That was the disciples when Jesus died. Then just a short time later, all of a sudden, they go throughout the known world and spread the gospel message. What changed? What changed in those men to turn them from cowering cowards to brave men who would die for their message? What changed? They saw Jesus. Because he's alive. Now, Christianity is about faith. Don't get me wrong. But Christianity is not illogical. I think that there's a lot of people out there that think Christianity is illogical. I think it's illogical, actually, to look at the evidence and to say, no, Jesus stayed in the tomb. I don't think it makes sense to say that Jesus is still dead. So the logic seems to point to the fact of the resurrection. Now, some people might argue, and I've heard this argument recently even, some people say, well, I didn't see it, so it's hard for me to believe in it. Or some people will say, I just don't know that I can believe in it because I didn't see it. And, and just to be honest with you, if I can say this, it might sound a little bit brash, but that argument always seems a little insincere to me. Just because you didn't see it doesn't mean that it's not true. There are lots of things that we have not seen, yet we still believe true. So do you want proof? If somebody were to come up to me and say, I didn't see it, there's not enough proof to me. Do you know what I would say? Do you want proof? Look into it. Remember what I told the kids earlier? Jesus said, seek and you will find. That's the promise from God the Son, that if you want to know him, you can seek him and find him and walk with him. He loves you and that's what he wants for you. So do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead or not? And if not, you better have a very good explanation. And I've just never heard one that holds water. So if he did rise from the dead, what does that mean? Well, the heart issue is that we need to give our lives to him. It's not just simply a matter of saying, sure, I believe in those facts of the resurrection. If it's true then Jesus has authority in our lives and we are to follow him. And the heart issue is that we are to give our lives to him. And I, and I was thinking about this. Why is it that people don't believe in the resurrection? Is it because they don't believe in the Bible? Honestly, I don't think so. I don't think that people reject the Bible first and then reject Jesus. I think they reject Jesus first and then reject the Bible. It's really a heart issue. And the heart issue is will you give your life to Jesus Christ? If the resurrection is true, everything changes. If the resurrection is true, then Jesus is proved to be true because he said five times that he would rise again. If the resurrection is true, then Jesus still leads us right now. And if the resurrection is true, then there's hope. Think about that. I talked earlier about how we know there's something wrong with this world. We know there's something wrong with us. Can I get... You don't have to say it out loud, but can I get an amen to that? There's something wrong with us. And God came to fix that. And if Jesus is alive, that means there's hope for what's wrong with us. There's hope in the sense that I believe that God can help us in our struggles now, and there's hope in knowing that in heaven everything will be made new. All of that hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ which I believe as much as I believe anything. 
Through his death and resurrection, Jesus defeated the power of sin and death and the devil. Therefore, everyone who receives Jesus as Savior and Lord can have complete forgiveness, a relationship with God, and eternal life. That's what God wants for you. So do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? Don't just take my word for it. Seek yourself. Ask God. Talk to him about it. And remember, it's not just a yes or no question. Let me talk to you believers out there for just a moment. If you believe in the resurrection, you need to give your life to Christ and keep submitting to him. The resurrection isn't just our free ticket into heaven. The resurrection means that we have a new life to live right now. The, the death of Christ, like I said before, means that we are to die to ourselves and follow the one who gave his life for us. So if you're a Christian here today, I want you to know that you were purchased at a price and you belong to Jesus Christ. And the rest of our lives should be spent following him, submitting to him, worshiping him living for him. And like I said, there will be great joy in that. But even that then, I think stands as one of the great proofs of the resurrection. It's not the only proof, and I don't like to start with this one, but let me just say that if there's any doubters out there, let me just say this. One of the great proofs of the resurrection is this. I know him. I know that my Redeemer lives because I know him. I meet with him. He is alive and I know that because I've asked him into my heart to be my Lord and my Savior and he strengthens me to walk with him. Now a lot of people say that in a lot of different religions but ours is based in the fact of the resurrection and it's lived out daily in our experience with him. The guards knew about the resurrection but they didn't choose to submit to the Lord. What about you? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? And the choice really here is, are you going to live for your own self-interest, or are you going to live for the Lord? God sent Jesus that you might be forgiven and have eternal life. God loves you and wants what's best for you. Will you live for him? The resurrection means new life. Do you believe in it? I'm going to close in prayer now. And if there are any of you who would just like to talk to God in the quietness of your own heart and, and receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you can repeat after me the first part of this prayer. And then after I'm done with that part of the prayer, I'm going to say a prayer for all of us. God, thank you for your love for me. Thank you that you sent Jesus to die for me. I realize that I am a sinner. Please forgive me for all of my sins. I now pray to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior, the one who takes away my sins. And I also pray to receive Jesus as Lord, the King of my life. Please come into my life and make me the person you want me to be. Then God, for all of us here, for all of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us to live for you today. We rejoice in the resurrection. Thank you for the resurrection of Jesus, which means new life for us right now, and also it means life in heaven for eternity with you. We praise you, God, for all that you have done, and we thank you, Jesus, eternally for what you did for us. 
Please strengthen us through the power of the Holy Spirit to continue to live for you always. In Jesus' glorious name we pray. Amen.